for joining us for another conversation around good. Our uh, webinar today, we're actually called Good Table Talk, that's part of our family of sharing good stories. I'm Tracy Zerden with Made Possible By, and we love to make good loud. We make giving easy for community-minded businesses. We love to connect causes, uh, companies and individuals so we can do more good together. And it's my honor today to have this crew. We got a powerhouse today. I have this, their bios are like miles long. So that's going to take most of our time. No, it's not going to take most of our time, but it takes some of our time to list their bios of all the cool things that they do. So I want to introduce to you, Erica Lucas, Sarah Sears and Jefferson Kilgore. Um, we'll start with you, Jefferson. I'm going to tell a little bit about you and then you can uh, give us some personal, a little snapshot of you. Uh, Jefferson Kilgore is the owner relations coordinator for Mock Resources. He's worked in criminal justice reform, which is a scary thing in Oklahoma. Um, he's the has been the development director uh, for Fields and Futures, working with kids. Um, you've worked with several nonprofits, Healthy Living, Mentoring Project. You're also on the board for Whitefields, Special Care, Young Life, and you work for the advisory committees for ad advocacy on behalf of Remerge. And is it OCCF? Is that what that yeah. is? Yeah, the Oklahoma City Community Foundation has a Wellness Now Alliance, and I serve on their advisory committee. Okay, you are a busy person. So give us a little bit of more about you, more personal. Uh, more personal, Oklahoma City born and raised. Uh, both of my parents are educators, which I think is what leads to my slant to find ways to serve the community in whatever capacity makes sense. Uh, more personal, a beautiful wife of 15 years uh, who I stole from Kansas City after finding her in Stillwater at Oklahoma State University. Uh, we are fortunate with three amazing kids that we are just trying to find ways to, to be better parents, be better leaders, be better advocates for our community. And uh, my background is uh, predominantly in the health and wellness industry, working for the YMCA and doing corporate wellness uh, in other capacities. But uh, by way of serving others from push-ups and pull-ups, you find yourself serving others in ways to improve their quality of life. So uh, as you mentioned, whether that was uh, with criminal justice reform or uh, committing my time to community service with other nonprofits, uh, just trying to look for opportunities to be a better part of uh, a better Oklahoma City and a, a future that serves and loves our neighbors well. Well, I, I can vouch for Jefferson. I've spent some time with him uh, touring some jails and just hearing his heart for those individuals that a lot of people just kind of push off to the side or, you know, maybe not even necessarily even think about, but Jefferson does. So thank you, Jefferson. I appreciate your, your heart. Um, Miss Sarah Sears, she has the super cool background going on with her color-coded books. I love that. I think that's great. Um, Sarah is a founder and owner of S Design. She is a certified brand specialist and design enthusiast. Um, before opening her own business, she was an adjunct professor for Oklahoma Christian, Northeast State University, and you've given lectures at Columbia College in Chicago. Basically, she's your girl. If your brand needs some help, She's your girl. She also serves on many boards. She's part of the leadership team for Good Thinking, a nonprofit based out of Atlanta and working with social good organizations throughout the U.S. So, Sarah, tell us a little bit more about you. Well, um, I was also born uh, in Oklahoma and I went away to school in Kansas um, and then I came back and I have um, two beautiful children, uh, Isabel and Olivia, and they 
are both seniors, one in high school and one in college right now. So that's kind of a strange time for that, <laughs> but um, everyone's really thriving. So uh, I just feel really lucky. And, um, and, uh, but, you know, we started out, um, I, I think my connection to all of this, we started out doing almost all nonprofit work when I started S design and then did um, more government work and corporate work as the firm grew. And, um, and so it's always, I've always seen a connection in how partnering uh, nonprofit with corporate um, is just a win-win for everyone. So Absolutely. Thank you for doing that because yeah. that, that's what makes all the difference, right? Okay. And last but not least, certainly we have Erica Lucas. She is the co-founder of Stitch Crew, um, which is an accelerator program in partnership with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that's how I met Erica, uh, made possible by was part of Batch 5, part of that accelerator program, which was hugely beneficial. It was like getting an MBA really fast. So it was a great program. Erica is also has also founded with a, a group of other women uh, a company called Vest, which is a curated network of C-suite women working together to expedite the pipeline pipeline of more women in power. Want to talk more about that for sure. This is a great year for that. Her TED talk on America's trillion dollar blind spot is highly regarded in the venture capital industry for addressing the funding gap that exists for women and entrepreneurs of color. Definitely wanna talk more about that too. Prior to launching Stitch Crew Invest, Erica was a partner at a private equity firm with investments in the US and Europe. Before that, she was the deputy director for the Oklahoma Department of Congress. Commerce, there we go, not Congress, Commerce. And she currently sits on the boards of Arvis Bank, Oklahoma Policy Institute, Diversion Hub, Oklahoma City Country Health, County Health Department and 36 degrees north. Oh my goodness, you're making this too much. My mouth can't even comprehend it all. So Erica, give us a little bit more personal about you. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. Um, unlike Sarah and Jeff, I actually, I was born in Mexico. So it's not, I'm not a, a born Oki, but um, born and raised in Mexico, came to the U.S. the first time with my mother and my sister. Um, and then I went back to Mexico. They stayed here. They assimilated very well. I miss Mexico too much. Um, so I went back and lived with my grandparents. Um, and then the second time I came over, uh, I met my husband, who is a, uh, an Oki, and uh, I decided to stay here. So, uh, yeah, we have two beautiful Mexican-American girls, uh, Sarah, about, well, a little bit younger than yours. Uh, I have one in middle school and one in high school. I didn't realize that you went back to Mexico for a while. I never heard that portion of it. Did you just not groove on America when you were first here, or what was it? It wasn't that. It's just I really am. When we first migrated, my mom's sister lived in Chickasha, Oklahoma. So that's where I learned my English, um, too. Uh, it, so, it, you know, it, it wasn't just a cultural shock. It was just very different because in Mexico, I lived in a big city. So it, there was just very, a lot of components yeah. that uh, influenced my decision. Um, and I love my grandparents. My mom was a single mother. Mm -hmm. So um, I was kind of raised by all three, my, my mother and, and my grandparents. So it was, it was family to me. So it was second nature to say, oh, I'm going to go live with my grandparents now. Okay. How old were you? I was, I hadn't finished high school yet, so it, it was in my junior uh, year, so 15-ish, yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Wow. That's, I've never heard that part of that story. That's cool. Chicken Day would be a, definitely a small town. It's a great town and great yeah. people. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, it was, it, I was 13 when we first moved there. Again, it was a culture shock. It was, I didn't know the language um, at, at all. Like, I didn't know English when we first wow. moved. Yeah. So, it, it was, you know, and then I missed my home, my, my grandparents mm -hmm. and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. I get that. Okay, cool. So, Sarah, I want to start with you. This, I'm not sure, listeners, when you are joining us, but right now it is December of 2020. And like most people, I think we're all pretty good to see that, uh, perfectly happy to see this year ending, right? We're ready to start new, start fresh. Um, it's been a year of growth, uh, a year of a lot of loss, but there's also been some good things that have come out of 2020. But Sarah, talk to me about how demanding this year has been for many businesses and how you have seen companies address community needs in the midst of this. I mean, we're all, everybody's hurting to some degree, especially the unemployment level is really high and just the struggle to get out and find toilet paper has been hard this year, right? So. Well, I know I was thinking about this and I think, you know, there's been so many people actively doing things. And one of the companies I work with is Verbode and uh, Sarah Baducci is um, the leader of that company. And, and, you know, one of the things I noticed, we had a cold snap a while back and she hopped on a social media at first started with $10,000 and then raised, I think almost $30,000 and just, um, I mean, was just buying up coats and gloves and getting them to the homeless Alliance and she's on their board. But I think that's a great example of, you know, finding something that you're passionate about. And one of the things that she's passionate about is making sure that people have a roof over their heads. And, um, and I think that that perfectly aligns with what she does for a living. And, um, but also she's always giving it back to the community. And I think that that, um, you know, it impacts the community and her, the way that people perceive her company. So I, th I mean, I think, I mean, that's not why she does it. I mean, she does she loves she loves it and she wants to make sure people have a warm place to sleep so um but that's i think just when you see leaders that just um that they're just empowered to get i mean you know within an hour hop on social media and just start getting it done so i mean i think that's pretty incredible and also i think what thunder did um they're always out in the community um we talked you know we've talked about that before but um i just uh, I think getting out the vote was a big thing this year, just getting people um, activated and, and making sure everyone knows how important their, um, their vote is. So it's, it was a weird year. <laughs> you know, it was a weird year. I feel like everybody was, was trying to find the good that they could do in the world this year, which was really exciting to see. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes crisis um, bring out the best in us. I mean, it can go either way, but I think we've seen a lot of people rise this year in that so great thank you so jefferson you know make possible is all about aligning company causes and people to do more good together and you've worked in the nonprofit world you've worked in the for-profit world so when you hear corporate social responsibility what does that mean to you and how have you seen companies um you've worked with that have done it well big or small companies um how does it look different for the different people well, I think that's a great point. When you say big or small, there's no company too big and there's no company too small. 
when it comes to corporate responsibility. Um, I mentioned before that my background was predominantly in health and wellness. So I was working in corporate wellness. I was helping everybody from, you know, uh, 800 downtown corporate employees to pursuing a better means of health and wellness to 1400 field employees and what it looks like in rural Oklahoma or West Texas to be uh, health, uh, healthy and, and well is a little bit different than um, what your access to resources would be. But that's kind of awareness of what corporate responsibility looks like. It's uh, an awareness of what your resources are. So um, when I transitioned from a role in predominantly health and wellness into community outreach. It was employee volunteerism. It was, uh, you know, corporate giving. So um, identifying what the need is. And as a downtown Oklahoma City oil and gas company, we looked at our downtown neighbors. So um, there was looking at a homeless population. There was looking at, um, you know, education in Oklahoma has a lot of room for improvement. So we had 800 downtown employees that could go volunteer as their time saw fit. And that could be a reading buddy at a local elementary school that could be serving at a regional food bank and providing, um, you know, the time of an employee is just as valuable as you know, writing a check for 500 or $5,000. So looking beyond just, well, I have a check, let's write it. Um, how do you lend your talents uh, beyond just a checkbook? Uh, and another thing that we found as far as corporate responsibility, uh, whether that's serving on a board or working for, you know, a company that has 15 or 500 people, what are your real desires? What are your passions? I, It'd be difficult if I, you know, loaded up 50 employees and took them to volunteer for a cause that wasn't of their concern. Uh, I won't name any specifically, but say somebody wanted, you know, the beautification of, uh, you know, some abandoned building in some rural part of Oklahoma. Well, who's going to see it? What's the need? What's the tie to it? But if you had those same 50 employees and they were also from that same small town, then they had have a different passion for it. They would have a different sense of investment and they could have a different sense of seeing their influence. So um, for a, a corporate company, regardless of its size, to be able to identify their culture and then tie that to their giving, to their desire, to their influence, um, provides a different sense of purpose and meaning. And I think that's a reflection of community. Definitely. You made me think of uh, when COVID first started, when quarantine, when we were all shut down, uh, high tech plumbing out of Edmond just called a restaurant and gave $500 for people to come in and get drive through. And then other businesses heard about it and started adding to it and adding to it, and adding to it. And then it turned into, there was a $5,000 tab for people to just drive through and grab a meal just to be able to get out for a minute, you know, get the kids out of the house and grab some food and head back in and to keep those businesses going, right? And yeah. His restaurants were definitely were hit hard in 2020. Well, yeah. I think I, I think of another company here locally in Oklahoma City that they were about to uh, celebrate a milestone anniversary. I think it was, you know, 50 years or something like that. Well, they couldn't have a large gathering. So they reallocated those funds to their employees and said, we want you to go spend $50 on, you know, supporting a local business. And we want you to spend the other $50 on going to volunteer, going to donate to a local charity that matters to you. So um, while the local company was disappointed that they couldn't have their big celebration of their 50 or 75th anniversary, they still wanted to empower their employees to get involved in the community, which I thought was you know, a really strong reflection of leadership. Oh, that's brilliant. Can you share who that is or should you not share who that is? Uh, I don't know that that's mine to share uh, because I think that that was uh, also a reflection of their leadership was they didn't want to, you know, you know, label their banner across the wall saying, look at us, we're doing so much good, giving away this, you know, these resources. Uh, part of their internal messaging to those employees was uh, the time is always right to do right, regardless of whether or not you get recognition. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and, and their story is more powerful when their employees are the ones that are sharing it, you know, instead of them tooting their own horn, so to speak, but when their employees are out there sharing that they got to do that, it, it brings more power to it. That's great. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to investigate that. You got me curious now. I want to know who that was. <laughs> Um, so Erica, you and Chris, we, we in our house, we call you the serial entrepreneurs because you're always coming up with something new, something new and genius. Um, and through Stitch Crew, you're training up new entrepreneurs every day. You're just finished batch six. You've already got new applicants for batch seven. So what's the main thing that you communicate to entrepreneurs when they're first started? And I could probably tell you one of the things that you would say because I've gone through your program, but what's the main component that someone needs to have if they're going to be part, if they're going to start a business, what do you need? Um, our slogan is actually that nobody builds companies alone. <clears throat> so um, that's actually why we started um, Stitch Crew. Um, we are serial entrepreneurs, particularly Chris. Um, yeah, he is. <laughs> way before. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we struggle, um, you know, unfortunately what you see in, in, in social media or in the, in the, Main Street media in general is the success stories, right? Of how Jeff Bezos got to where he is or how Mark Zuckerberg got to where he is. Um, but you don't necessarily, and, and those are actually outliers because they had plenty of cushion to fail. <laughs> uh, most entrepreneurs don't. And so, and, and, and it can't get very lonely. So one of the reasons why we started Stitch Group even prior to the accelerator was to kind of bring light to that and bring light to the mental struggles that goes on when you launch a company with limited resources, with limited access to capital and, and social networks. So we wanted to create an organization more so than training because I also don't believe that there's a clear blueprint yeah. for businesses. I don't think you can teach entrepreneurship. I think you have to do it uh, to learn because it depends on the business model, the clients that you're serving mm -hmm. and so on. Um, but more than anything, we just wanted to create a community of founders giving back to each other, mentors um, offering their time to support new entrepreneurs. Um, and then we wanted to find the right investors that really wanted to invest kind of in companies like yours. Um, we believe, and I think Jeff mentioned this, we believe that capitalism 2.0, it's going to be comprised of companies that can make lots of profit, but also do good in their communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, it was such a great, uh, you guys do create a great community. It was so helpful to even not just jump on a phone call or to um, email or whatever, but to get on Slack and just hear somebody going, I'm struggling today. And we can all be like, it's okay. Just make that, just take that next step. Cause you see this huge pile of where we have to go, what we have to do. And Chris was always so encouraging to me because I want everything to be perfect. You know, you want your website to be perfect. You want all these things to just be all bright and shiny. And he's like, just go, just get it out there. Just go. Cause you will, you know, you'll get 2.0 and 3.0, but you want it to be bright and shiny. So Stitch Crew is a great program. If you have an idea, hit up Erica. It's perfect time right now too. She's starting batch seven. So there you go. Um, Sarah, you started S Design over 25 years ago. I was looking, I can't believe that. Cause I met you, gosh, shortly after you just started. Um, so if you could go back and tell your then self something, what would you tell your sweet little then self, self 25 years ago? Um, well, uh, I would tell myself, um, do the work that makes you feel good. Um, I, I think when I was younger, 
I've always, I've always worked well with people. I'm kind of one of those, I, I like, I like harmony and I, and I like a challenge. And so I think I took on a lot of projects uh, where um, that were really challenging, challenging people. <laughs> and so I, th I mean, I think that I probably would have been better served sometimes just working with people that, that made me feel good. Um, and not that I didn't learn a lot from that, but I think I could have, I could have done more about uh, being picky and finding the right, the right fit sometimes. Um, and um, knowing my worth, um, I did a lot, a lot of um, volunteer work when I started. I did, I worked for mostly nonprofits when I first um, went to work. I just thought, well, I'll just work for the people I want to work for. Um, but you know, when it came time, when I, when I got pregnant and I was pulling all nighters and it came time to hire the first person, um, my accountant told me I, I'd given away almost $90,000 of work. And so there was no money to hire help for myself. So, um, you know, I eventually did, but that, that was saying no to things was difficult for me. Balancing that was really difficult for me. So I would, I would have told myself to not give it away. And then just to remind myself that it was, um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, I was very good at, I was very good at, um, you know, I always went to work every day and I worked a full day and I mean, I, but I think I should have taken some time off. You know, I never really took any time off, especially once I had my kids. And, um, you know, uh, at the time my husband and I, we had a restaurant business, catering business, and I had my business. Um, so I was, I was pretty, spread pretty thin. So I think I would have encouraged myself to just not have to do it all right now. Um, and taking some time off. So it's still hard for me to take time off. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna say, those are hard lessons for everybody to create healthy boundaries in your life and learning to say no is okay. It's okay. Yeah. We, we, we have a second batch of children. We have, we have our first batch and our second batch. We're like Erica and, and Stitch Green, mm -hmm. many batches. I hope I don't have any more batches, but we have a 22, 17, and now we have a two-year-old. And our two-year-old didn't, didn't talk. He's a foster baby and he didn't talk very well. And we had to teach him how to say no. And my 17-year-old um, at the time was like, why are you teaching? Why did you teach him no? Because now he knows no very well. He can yell no very well. But that's an important word. We need to know how to say that. You need to, and that come, and that ties into knowing your worth to say, mm -hmm. no, I, I, I'm, I'm worth more than that. Um, I can say no to this so I can say yes to something better and, and creating those boundaries, but those are hard. And those boundaries ties into taking time off, right? To, to know your worth that you deserve to take time off. Well, I think you're better. I think I, I could have been a better leader, you know, if I had had time off, mm -hmm. like I think back and I just was always under a lot of pressure, you know, I just felt. And so I think, um, that would have eliminated some stress in my life, you know, to take some time off. And I think I could have been, I could have been a better leader that way, you know, for everybody. You clear your head, you know, yeah. get out. Well, setting a good example, you know, mm -hmm. of self-care yes. for the people that work for me. Yes, exactly. So Jefferson, we talked a little bit about uh, companies doing good in their communities. Can you tell us some people that you know of, because um, you have a great reference from both sides, companies who are doing good, not just writing checks, but getting out there and volunteering or maybe 
opening their offices before COVID for people to come in and use their space or anything, anything different than just writing a check? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, opening your office is a great example. I think of, uh, or even just, you know, I've got a friend who's an entrepreneur who has been doing Zoom long before it was what everyone was doing. So in the infancy of COVID, he was quick to provide tutorials on what's appropriate lighting for a Zoom call look like. How do you limit distractions? Uh, he took his entrepreneurial spirit and led that to a lot of different teachers that said, hey, when you start doing Zoom classes with your kids, these are the first five things you need to let them know as it relates to what's going to lead to a successful Zoom interaction for a classroom full of third graders. Um, lending your space with or without Zoom, knowing uh, that, you know, I'm in a conference room that's not used all day, every day, but if there's a nonprofit that needs to come in and host a meeting or, you know, set up goodie bags to go send off to a school or to a church or to an otherwise, um, you know, that space isn't always easy to come by. Um, but doing things as a team, I also think makes a big difference. It, it helps create a stronger culture for those coworkers that are volunteering together. Uh, and you kind of get to you know, know one another outside of the, the cubicle or the office, but at the same time, you get to learn more about somebody's interest. So um, yeah, we have the regional, or we have uh, Oklahoma Blood Institute come to the office you know, four times a year. Well, why do we do that? Well, you know, I have a coworker that's in the geology department whose daughter's life was saved by the Oklahoma Blood Institute. I have a coworker who used to go with his dad every time he donated blood and he saw his dad literally rolling up his sleeves to make a difference in the community and save a life. Um, so it's those unique little things where you don't have to look too far. Uh, you just have to look at ways in which your, your time can make a difference uh, and, you know, be clever and be creative with it. Um, I was at another company where one of the things that they often donated as far as financial resources was to improve local neighborhood parks um, or parks at a, you know, at a playground at a local elementary school. And it was one of those deals where they had an employee that really championed that concept of, uh, you know, having a, a resource of a basketball goal or a teeter totter or, or, you know, a playground structure. So that was how they would help do, you know, little micro fundraisers to be able to build a better playground for local elementary schools, because it's one of those deals where, you know, every, I don't want to say everybody needs, I, I think they do. Um, but everybody knows the difference of a playground for recess or in the neighborhood that can make a difference. So finding something that matters to you and investing your time there or your financial resources there. Yeah, it, it takes both, you know, it really takes both. Um, I love hearing unique ways that people give back uh, to do good in their community. Uh, I did a podcast with Mike from Smirk Media and he gave all his employees the day off um, on election day. Brilliant. And I thought that, that, I thought that was brilliant. You know, it, it's a small thing, right? It's a small thing, but especially in 2020, we needed the day off on election day, right? <laughs> We just needed it off. So I thought that was a great idea. He said some of the people went together to vote too. So, you know, create a little bit of unity and getting it done. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so Sarah, talk to me about in the modern economy, the concept of being um, socially responsible. What is the impact? What impact does that have on a brand when they do it well? Well, um, I when you think help I them do it well. When you help them do it well, right? <laughs> Well, okay. So, um, I mean, I just think that, uh, people can tell if you're living your values or not. So, um, I think one of the most, um, I mean, part of it's, it's kind of part of building a brand, you know, is to, is to, um, if a brand is a gut, the gut feeling that people have about you, 
one of the first things you do is develop your core values, right? So those have to be authentic. Like you can't borrow someone else's core values. You really have to figure out, you know, who are we and, and what does that mean and how do we show up? And then you want to attract people that have the same values to work there, right? So then you have people that have a shared set of values. So then when you start, you know, doing work in the community, um, it's authentic, you know? And so I really encourage people. Um, sometimes I see people wanting to just do something that someone else is doing. And I really encourage people to sit with it for a minute and really think about, you know, how does that, how does that roll out of, of who we are and what we're doing and what, what is the most important thing for us? Because I do think that, that people can tell, I mean, just like with stock photos, you know, if you, if you do those things and then you build those stories and share those stories, then, um, then that feels good to people. They, that feeling, um, and then that translates, um, in, in value for everyone, you know? Well, it's, it's the authenticity, right? I mean, you have to be real yeah. behind it because people can tell. Um, that made me think of um, Allie Cunningham out at um, Sunnyside Diner, how she gives her time and resources to the other options food bank. Um, she, her whole heart is in that. She has run uh, Cookies Thanksgiving when they give thousands of meals to people every Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. This year it looked different, but she really, I mean, you just know, you talk to her and you just feel that she cares about that. You know, and when people, when people find that connection, it just gives them so much energy. It's like boundless energy when you get in that zone, you know, which is different than, than, you know, if you're, if you're not in the right place, just, you know, just like why some employees aren't at the right company, you know, finding that, finding that place where you fit. Um, and same with, you know, customers finding those businesses that you want to support. Um, you know, it all, it's just a big, Good feel fest. <laughs> exactly. And you have to get out there and try something, right? To find your thing. So get out there and try something new. And if it's not your thing that motivates you, that moves you or makes you angry, or you want to see change, then go find something that is. And I think just being present, you know, like keeping your eyes open and seeing, uh, seeing things that connect with you, seeing opportunities mm -hmm. to, to connect with people and, and help people out. There's no lack of opportunities. That's right. There's, There's always no opportunities for sure. I know. So Erica, when working with startups, um, how do you all communicate the importance of giving back? I mean, it's hard. Startups don't have money, right? So it, sometimes it's probably just volunteering or I don't know, maybe pretty quickly. Some startups do have money. I know one of the startups that was in our batch uh, round two in their year two, they raised, I think it was like $15,000 for uh, leukemia and got to ha hand out big checks to these people all over the country. Just because they saw a need, they saw something that happened and they rolled with it and people jumped on board. So how do you all communicate that as being important? Mm. Oh, from day one, I mean, um, you know, the whole um, basis of our program is we, we don't take any equity in the companies that we support and we also don't charge any money to go through our program. Mm -hmm. um, and all of our mentors are on a give first um, basis. So they come here and they give all of this coaching and support to the founders without charging them anything or having an expectation that they're going to get something out other than friendships. Mm -hmm. um, 
so instead of preaching to them about the need to do it, I think we just, like Sarah said, um, we just show it, we live it. Um, and and, and the, the one thing we do talk about, and Tracy, I'm sure you, you heard this over and over throughout the program, is the need to build um, meaningful companies, right? And companies that from, from, from inside out. I think that to Sarah's point too, on how, how do you build a brand that it's genuine? I think it starts within and it's the people that you hire. Um, do they share the values? Um, do they believe in, in a bigger mission that you're working towards? Um, and honestly, you know, I, 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 by nature of being Hispanic, a woman, <laughs> an immigrant, I get invited to a lot of DNI uh, conversations. And it ultimately comes down to, are you just being a nice person and a good person, right? Like, are you genuinely caring and empathetic to other people's needs? Um, and, and I think that if it, you, you know, when, when we went to the program, um, and, and I think you've mentioned this before, like how do you differentiate yourself from other people, other programming that's, that's similar to yours? I always say, I don't know that there's anybody in Oklahoma, at least, that cares more about entrepreneurs the way we do. Mm -hmm. And and I think you show that on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. um, and if you do that, I think you're going to be okay. And I think that the founders that participate in the program hopefully feel the same way. And then they carry that on to their teams and the way they carry out business and then in the way that they give back to the community. Mm -hmm. It goes back to that we learned everything we needed to learn in kindergarten, right? right. Just be kind. <laughs> Just be kind. It's not hard. Just be kind. Especially in 2020, we need to be kind. Um, so Jefferson, you worked in the uh, criminal justice reform, and that's, we talked about that. Oklahoma has the highest incarceration rate in the world. Um, I don't know where you are listening to this webinar, but yes, Oklahoma does. I know that's surprising. Um, how have you seen or how could companies get involved? If that's a cause that moves them, if that's a cause that angers them, um, how could people get involved with that? Oh boy, um, lots of different ways, uh, unfortunately. And um, you know, I'll give the quick background of how I became involved with criminal justice reform. Um, I was working for that same oil and gas company in downtown Oklahoma City, and one of our five areas of influence was incarceration, because we knew that Oklahoma carries that very undignified badge that we've been the number one incarcerator, uh, not just in the United States, but in the world for a long darn time. Um, and women, we, we incarcerate more women per capita than anyone in the world, and we've held that title for 30 years. So if I, as a father of two amazing, beautiful daughters, want to create a, a better future for them, uh, we need to stop leading in such a, a negative category. The quick overview or understanding of why Oklahoma uh, has that title is because we have a very punitive system. And I think if we want to look at why it's so punitive um, and realize that it's not a flattering statistic to carry, um, incarceration isn't a, a solution for all. Uh, it's a broken system. It's uh, not working. But your question is, how do you get involved? Um, we talk about 2020 and the weight that it has borne on so many of us mentally and emotionally. And you look at uh, mental health and uh, you look at what is the purpose of incarceration? Are people going to be punished? Are they going to be um, corrected? It's the directed uh, Department of Corrections. The word corrections is in the name of the institution. And at this point in time, is Oklahoma doing anything to truly um, 
provide rehabilitative services or are we seeing really high recidivism rates where individuals leave incarceration and come back in in two to three to six months because we didn't set them up for success when they left incarceration. So how do you get involved? Uh, working for that company in downtown Oklahoma City, uh, we were giving our time and we were a second chance employer. We were making sure that there were opportunities that when somebody left the Bill Johnson facility in Alva, Oklahoma, that they could get make a meaningful, livable wage working for our company in an oil and gas field. Um, and it's hard work, but it's work that pays well. And it's work that is redeeming and tells those individuals as they leave incarceration uh, that they are not their worst mistake, that they do deserve a second chance, and that uh, through grace and employment, there's a better opportunity for them. Um, other ways that employees or companies could get involved is just becoming aware of the situation and the circumstance. Uh, becoming a second chance employer is a, a great start. It's really difficult to find employment after leaving incarceration and having a felony on your record. Um, so knowing that your workplace, regardless of what that is, is willing to give somebody a second chance and invest in some of the greatest employees you will ever have uh, because they understand and appreciate the opportunity of a second chance. Um, and on the local level, you could always, you know, we've talked about voting. Um, the most influential individuals in the state of Oklahoma as it relates to uh, our incarceration system are the 27 DAs. They're the ones that have the most influence to make a difference in the sentences that are uh, our neighbors. The, our, our neighbors at the end of the day are the ones that are incarcerated. 90, I think 90% of individuals that in, are incarcerated on one timeline or another will re-enter society. And it's a question of when DAs are elected, um, what is in mind with that sentencing? Is it punishment or is it rehabilitation? So um, knowing who your DAs are, uh, knowing how they're elected, or you mentioned that you and I have toured some jails together. Um, what other services are available um, you know, at the county jail level? What type of, um, ex I hate to say experiences, but what other mental health services are being provided? What other, um, you know, at, at this point in the state of Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma County Jail, is the largest mental health service provider in the state. And you shouldn't have a county jail that is your largest mental health service provider. So I think you mentioned that uh, Erica serves on Oklahoma County Health Department, which is a phenomenal resource. Um, I was working at a, a senior wellness center and had a member that was struggling with mental health and I called the Oklahoma City County Health Department. So um, when nonprofits or for-profits work together, they can begin to provide solutions to incarceration and mental health and otherwise. So uh, a bit of a long-winded answer, but it's a really big problem that uh, there are opportunities to look at even as recently as your, uh, your local elections for or state representatives. Um, where do they stand on these positions? And today, when I'm done with this call, if I have an issue as it relates to criminal justice reform, I can call my local elected official and tell them that this year in the state of Oklahoma, I wanna see meaningful change as it relates to this topic of discussion. So um, regardless of whether or not you voted for them, we're their constituents and we have the opportunity to hold them accountable go visit our friends down at 23rd and Lincoln and, uh, and be an advocate for whatever your cause or concern is. Oh, thank you. And thank you for championing, championing that cause. Cause that's a hard one. It's a really hard one. And you said that, that, that Oklahoma County is the largest mental health provider, but what I hear about what's going on there, there's no mental health being provided. Correct. Know? So it's like, I don't, that doesn't make sense and that they have to pay inmates have to pay to check out books you know it, it's just so broken so 
anyhow, yeah. So thank I you. I get in the weeds on that one real quickly. Um, but you mentioned books and we've, uh, there, there's is some new leadership at the Oklahoma County jail yeah. level. Um, and they have folks that are doing just that. They're getting books donated. Um, so, you know, you've got 23 hours a day to spend in a, a cell and I won't get into the weeds on that, but what services can, you know, can we provide? What resources can we donate um, that make that transition easier? I think you also mentioned that Erica Lucas is on the uh, Diversion Hub Board of Directors, another phenomenal nonprofit in the state of Oklahoma that's looking at how organizations can work together and complement one another um, to, to reenter society and, and work together for a more meaningful solution. Yeah, well, thank so you. Thank you for your volunteerism, Erica. That's fantastic. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, Sarah, talk to me about a few brands that you admire for the work that they do in their community. Um, doesn't just necessarily have to be local. If there's anyone um, nationally or internationally that do, does good, because you're the expert. Oh, you're muted. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen at some point. Um, there are so many uh, organizations uh, doing good things. One of my favorite case studies is actually not recent. It's pretty old, but um, it was uh, a case study where Timberland um, gave their employees a bunch of, um, of boots to gift to kids in inner cities that had never been out in the country before. And I thought that that was just such an amazing story. It was kind of one of the first... Um, big case studies that really helped me to see how, how corporations could connect um, on a local level through employees. And, um, and they would take these kids, um, you know, just out of the city on day trips up into the mountains and, and things. Um, and I just thought, I don't know, I just thought that was such an amazing way to, um, to change these kids' lives that it never really seen um, outside of the city. So, um, so Erica, you clearly have a heart for empowering women um, I follow you on social media and I've seen several posts about um, how uh, Kamala has busted that glass ceiling this year. That was one of the bright spots of 2020, having a, not just a woman, but a woman of color um, in our White House this next year. Um, so, and then ACLU comes out and releases that stat yesterday that, what was it, the 1.1 million workers who left the workforce in September, 80% of them for, were women. So clearly VEST, is, is the, this is the perfect time. This yeah. is the perfect time for that. So talk to me about, have you seen, how have you seen that help helping women? Or is it just getting started? What does it look like? What are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you for that question. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at 20, we actually launched best because of the impact that the pandemic has had on women. If you look at the statistics all the way back in March, um, this is the first year that women have reached double digit unemployment since the Bureau of Labor started actually counting joblessness for women. Mm -hmm. um, so this could potentially set us back um, decades of economic advancements for women. Women are having to leave the workforce to take care of parents, um, loved ones, obviously uh, children. Um, and this is all while we're still uh, making less money than man. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, th this is a huge problem and we launched best um, not because we wanted to, um, but we really launched it out of the need that we needed to one, stop the shed 
of women leaving the workforce. Um, two, we needed to provide the coaching and the resources needed to get more women in positions of power and influence. So, um, and, and this is not, you know, I always, I know I may come across that way because I'm very um, bold in, in, in advocating for the causes that I care about, but this is not to displace man. You know, um, it, it's it actually men, um, and there's a lot of data here that men will benefit um, equally from creating more equitable workplaces um, because they also suffer from bias uh, that we place on men. So this is more about just leveling, leveling the playing field. You know, when, when you have um, rooms of people making decisions on behalf of a group of people, and there's no representation on the, on the people that you're making decisions on behalf of, then you tend to be biased. We all have it. I have it as well. And so what we're trying to do with best is put those women in positions of power so that we can make decisions that often affect women. Um, so we launched Vest two months ago. Um, happy to say we received, uh, we, I think we touched a nerve because we, are, we actually have a wait list now of women um, waiting to be members of Vest. Um, we launched it in, in partnership with powerful women. Um, Claudia San Pedro, the CEO of Sonic, uh, Kathy uh, Taylor, former mayor of Tulsa, uh, Sue Ann Arnold, um, and, and Marie Rocha out of Connecticut. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're excited about it. How it works is uh, members, we meet on a monthly basis. We, pr we bring some of the best coaches in the nation addressing issues that often preclude women from reaching positions of power. So for example, in, in December, we're addressing how um, the gender bias when it comes to negotiation and how we negotiate differently than men. So we're bringing um, a top coach uh, to, to come and coach us and lead the conversation. And then again, very similar to Stitch Crew, a lot of the magic happens when peer-to-peer, women-to-women are having these conversations about how what policies are implemented within their own companies how they struggle with negotiation, how are they coaching the new generation of women when it comes to negotiation. So anyway, that's kind of how best works. We also have partners. I mean, you're, you're all about how, how do you correlate corporate giving with um, good causes. We have um, partners, best partners, best her partners, which basically have the same mission of putting more women in positions of power. So for example, Switchgear, uh, which is an executive uh, search firm, uh, all led by women, it's part of our Vester uh, network and they feed us uh, executive searches so that the women in our networks know what opportunities are out there looking for women or, or for leaders, right? And then you can't guarantee that they're gonna get it, but at least they're getting the feed of all the opportunities that are available. So we have a job board through that. We have other partners that also uh, provide, put women on commissions, public commissions, public boards. We feed those opportunities to the women in our network as well. Um, you said that's perfect timing for that. Um, absolutely perfect timing this year. Uh, it, you made me think of, I listened to a speech of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King talking about he was riding a train with someone and someone was coming down on him, verbally talking to him saying, you know, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Why can't you all do that? And he said, you know, it's pretty hard to do that when somebody's standing on the boot. Or what if you don't even have a boot? So even giving those women that opportunity, you know, what's the, the number one quote that we hear that uh, Kamala shares 
is the, uh, you might be the first to do something, but make sure you're not the last. You know, so I, I appreciate that you're creating that environment for women to even know about these opportunities um, and to learn how to level that playing field, like you said. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. Uh, let me see. Uh, Sarah, did you think of somebody? Oh, you're still muted. Oh, I was just thinking about companies like, uh, and I think because Eric was talking, the companies that I follow like Elvest, um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but just the type of work that they're doing um, to spotlight uh, different women um, in leadership and also to encourage uh, women to learn more about financial uh, stability. And, you know, they, they actually give them money. They give, they give people money to start um, to start an account with, which I think, I mean, is, I mean, it's also a sales technique, right? But I mean, it's not a lot different than something like a Tom's brand or a Warby Parker where you're, it's a, like a B Corp type situation. But, um, but I just think it's, it, 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 it's breaking down that barrier to, the, I can't participate in this, you know, uh, to the lowest, you know, kind of entry level, um, type thing. And then mentoring women up with lots of great content and, um, and, and social media and such. And I'm, you know, I haven't looked specifically into different ways that they're, uh, that they're giving back to the community, but it just kind of permeates everything they do um, in terms of their brand. So I think we're seeing more and more brands like that, that really um, are just, uh, you know, being built with that in mind. You know, it used to be kind of an afterthought. It's like, oh, we're going to do that. It's going to be siloed over here. And so, um, and I think a lot of existing businesses, this is such a huge opportunity, especially right now, to reinvent yourself in terms of that way and, and take it from a siloed, like, here's a thing that we're adding on over here and really go back to that foundation um, and reassessing, you know, your 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 purpose and why you're there and and building that stuff in and and also um, not making it just a department in the company, you know, really bringing together people from different um, parts of the organization to collaborate um, and come up with ideas. Cause I think uh, that's what we're seeing a lot now too is where companies can um, are really breaking down those walls. I mean, it's great when you have someone with a financial background, when you have someone with an engineering background and a creative background in the same room, solving problems together, you get a lot, a lot more sustainable um, programs and, and things like that. So. No, that's great. That it goes back to what, uh, Erica was saying about, you have to start day one. If it's going to be authentic about what you choose to be involved in your community, it needs to start with day one and be part of your, part of your peers, part of your foundation of what you're doing. So thank you. You're welcome. Okay, real quick, Jefferson, we're getting, our time is getting short. Um, is it okay for companies to share their stories of good? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier to the company that gave away the money, but they said, hey, let's do it quietly. Um, you know, that's a decision that their leadership made. Uh, and that was a cultural, uh, you know, expectation on their own. But at the same time, I think that uh, when you hear about good in the community, it encourages others and it, it inspires others. Uh, there was a story that ran just last night with the partnership between the Thunder and Devon, where they were doing, you know, Christmas goodies. And at the very end, they said, hey, there's still 50 families and there's a need. Call this number, get involved. So um, that invitation uh, after saying, hey, we're doing this, but inviting others to be a part of it, I think is exceptionally encouraged. And I think there's a healthy camaraderie where people get a little competitive and like, 
well, if you can do good, I can do good too. Uh, well, I can do good better than you can do good, which uh, again, it's healthy competition. And at the end of the day, it's an end result that we're all inspired by. So yes, share your story, share good. Awesome. Well, I, I need to get connected with that company who doesn't want to share their stories of good and I'll share it for them. Because like you said, it inspires, it inspires people. And again, 2020, we need to hear these inspiring stories. So definitely. Okay, so everybody, let's start. Let's go back to Erica, or excuse me. Yeah, Erica, tell me, give us your 30 second shout out, your call to action, your uh, motivational statement for today. What do you want to leave people with? Oh gosh, I need motivational quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would I say? Um, if, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, get out of your own head. You can do it. Um, like Tracy just mentioned, it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything figure out. You're just going to learn as you go. So get out of your head and launch it and surround yourself by people who believe in you more than you do. Um, because um, they won't let you quit and you won't want to quit because you don't want to let them down. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you. I, I needed to get out of my own head. That's a hard one. <laughs> Sarah. Well, um, I would just say that it's not too late uh, to change. So for organizations that feel a little bit stuck um, or feel, um, well, especially this year, I think just, you know, knowing what to do next. Um, so in, uh, in that same vein, as Erica said, I mean, I think just, just, it's okay, just get together and decide what you're going to do next. Look for local opportunities, um, look for ways for people to get involved and just, um, it's fun. Brainstorm, just carve some time out. I saw this, um, I saw this company this week, which I thought was so interesting. They were a tea company and they're doing um, like a, you could do a 30 minute or a two hour tea, afternoon tea with your team remotely and they send them, they send everybody a box and a cup and everything. And then they facilitate like, uh, and so like, you know, thinking creatively about ways to like bring people together, even though they're on Zoom calls and just brainstorm, you know, think of like, how can we, you know, how are we gonna make this, um, this next year? Uh, Cause you know, I think it's gonna take us a little while to crawl out of this, you know? So how are we gonna make this, next year, um, kick it off in the right way. And how are we gonna do that for our employees? And how are we gonna do that for our community? Um, and, you know, I think we just have to, um, you know, call a mentor. That's what I've been doing, calling people that I haven't seen in a really long time and saying, you know, let's do a Zoom coffee. People that, you know, maybe were really important to me 20 years ago when I was first starting my business and just checking in on them and seeing how they're doing. And so I think it's all about, um, even though I would love to hug everybody right now and that's going to make me cry because I feel like I really miss that part of it. You know, I think that, um, you know, just checking in with people that aren't in your, that aren't in your normal routine right now is really, really important. I read yesterday that Japan has had more suicide deaths due to suicide last month than COVID deaths. So it, it's, it's right now. Yeah. Uh, 2020 needs to be the year of mercy and grace. Give yourself mercy and grace. There's hope. There's hope. And, and you do. I love the thinking outside of the box. I love that tea idea. That's a great idea. I have a friend who um, she, she's a founder uh, of Tipsy Artist. She does the uh, paint parties. And clearly, and she's, she's had the world's, world's largest paint party. 
well, now we can't meet. And so she's doing those team meetings. So you do paint parties with your team. So she sends you all the supplies and you all get on a Zoom call together and, and do it together. So you're right. Uh, it's it's got to think outside of the box this year. We'll get back to hugs, Sarah, I promise. We'll get back to hugs. <laughs> uh, Jefferson. I love everything that Sarah said. And I think the first thing that came to my mind when you asked the question, Tracy, was be a good neighbor. Um, and I think everything that she shared is just that. Uh, you got a, got a lot of folks missing their loved ones. Uh, there's another deal kind of like the tea where you can sign up for family game night. And even though you're in Kansas City and Tulsa and Oklahoma City and Colorado and Mexico and everywhere in between, you can still do family game night. Somebody facilitates it for you. Uh, it's just virtual. But um, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, the statistics around suicide right now. Uh, but be a good neighbor. You don't have to vote like me. You don't have to uh, you know, go to church where I go to church. You don't have to support the nonprofit I support. But be a good neighbor and love one another. Just show kindness and grace and mercy. And uh, every day, let's hope it gets a little bit better. There you go. It goes back to we learned everything in kindergarten, right? Erica, Erica's not about degrees. She's not about pedigrees. She's about what we learn in life experience. And we learned in kindergarten to be kind and to be a good neighbor. So that's a perfect way to end. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to connect with us today on Good Table Talk. And thank you, our watchers, our listeners, for joining us today for another conversation around good. Um, hit that subscri subscribe button so you never miss a story of good made possible. We are here to make good loud. We're here to help you share your stories of good. So thanks again. Appreciate it.